Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 157 of the SCO Show. Proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield in the big chair for today, Wednesday, December 9th, 2020. A very big day. Why? Because it's my daughter Simone's seventh birthday. So this episode is going to get posted and then I'm ducking away from the timeline as much as I can because seven's a big one. And it's a big one in this house. So happy birthday, Simone. And I know you'll never hear that on this show because you will never listen to this show. But today's show is also a big one. We're going to spend some quality time. We haven't had a lot of guests on this season because there's a lot going on. Um, But we're going to speak with perhaps the world's greatest Canadian, Seth Galina from Pro Football Focus. We're going to talk about the Rams a little bit. And in the first half of the show, we're going to talk Jared Goff. But before we do any of that, your usual cavalcade of reminders. Please do follow along with the hijinks at Mark Schofield on the Bird app. Check out the work. Places like Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Not one, not two, but three. SB Nation websites. Big Blue View. Bleeding Green Nation, where some stuff is happening with the Eagles right now. And yes, right here at the one and only Pat's Pulpit. And yes, check out the work at USA Today's Touchdown Wire. Doug Farrar and I covering the NFL, college, high school Local flag football leagues, if there's football being played, chances are Doug and I are talking about it somehow. Also plug the Touchdown Wire weekly matchup podcast that Doug and I do. Usually drops each Thursday where we dive through each and every game from an X's and O's perspective. Definitely worth listening to. Let's talk Jared Goff. And a wise man once told me that nobody is ever going to pet you on your back for you. Sometimes you have to pat yourself on the back. And I'm going to do a little bit of that right now because like everybody else in the media game under the sun, in the buildup to Super Bowl 53 between the New England Patriots and the Los Angeles Rams, I was fascinated by the potential scheme matchups that were laid in front of us. Obviously, you had Josh McDaniels versus Wade Phillips. You had Bill Belichick versus Sean McVay. You had the Patriots offensive line versus the Rams defensive line and Aaron Donald, which for my money was the thing to watch in that game. But I was also fascinated by Bill Belichick versus Jared Goff, how that was going to play out. And in the buildup to that game, I wrote a piece that you will see in a future article at Pat's Pulpit talking about Jared Goff. And that piece was up over at Inside the Pylon. It is still up to this day. All the videos are up there. You can check it out to this day if you want. And the argument that I made about golf was this. The Patriots had a three-word job. Not do your job. Exploit the hesitation. Because watching Jared Goff during that season, 
his continued insistence on hesitating on reads and throws got him into trouble. And I wrote in the buildup to that game that if the Patriots were going to win, they needed to exploit the hesitation. Now, we all know how the Patriots approached that game, right? They did what teams like the Detroit Lions and the Chicago Bears and the Philadelphia Eagles had done throughout the final quarter or so of the regular season and into the playoffs. Forget playing man coverage. Forget chasing all the jet motion stuff. Play base coverage. Play quarters coverage in the secondary, you know, four deep, and force Jared Goff to make reads and throws. And, of course, the other element of the Patriots' game plan was the double play call in the huddle, right? Sean McVay, that year and to an extent this year, still using tempo, getting them to the line of scrimmage, and taking advantage of the time he has to speak to Goff through the radio helmet, helmet, helmet headset, right? Jared, this is what you're seeing, this is what you're doing. Remember, this is what you should look for, X, Y, Z, whatever. So the Patriots would show him a look. Play clock hits 15. Radio cuts out. They adjust on the defensive side of the ball. Now Goff has to think. And so that was sort of the dual-pronged approach they used against Jared Goff. But in terms of exploiting the hesitation, they were able to do it on perhaps the biggest play of Super Bowl 53. It's the Jason McCourty pass breakup in the back of the end zone on the throw to Brandon Cooks because it's quarters coverage. It's the post and the over, Yankee kind of concept off of play action, jet motion, like all the elements of the entire buildup to that game were there, including the hesitation from Jared Goff. Because if you watch that play right now, Goff comes out of the fake, hits his drop depth at the plus 49-yard line, and it is clear as day that Brandon Cooks is going to be wide open. But Goff waits. He hesitates. And Jason McCourty is able to recover and make the pass break up to prevent the touchdown. If that's a touchdown, it's a completely different game. And so they were able to exploit the hesitation. And I bring this up in part to say, hey, I got something right. It's rare when it happens, so you take advantage of it when you do. The hesitation continues to this day. Going into week 12, Goff had thrown eight interceptions on the year. Five of those had come against those middle-of-the-field open coverages. Cover two, cover four, cover six. The coverages in those families. And what I found when diving into those reads and throws and interceptions was that the hesitation we saw in 2018 in the run-up to Super Bowl 53 is still here today. You know, in a piece, it's going to be up at Pat's pulpit. You can look at a video breakdown I did of those interceptions. You'll see an interception against Buffalo where the Rams run mirrored curl flat against a middle-of-the-field open cover four look. Goff opens to his right. He has the deep curl route open on the right side of the field. But for whatever reason, he comes off of it and looks to the left. And as that's happening, two things are happening on the back side of the play. One... The flat route has to chip and release, so he doesn't get out late, which allows the curl flat defender to gain depth underneath the curl route. Two, his delay in coming to the left after first opening to the right, it allows both the corner and the safety to drive and close on the curl route. 
and three when the ball finally comes out because Goff opens to the left and takes a hitch step or two before throwing it. The safety, the corner, and the curl flat defender all drive on the throw. It's the curl flat defender in the corner that disrupted at the catch point and you get an interception. There's also an interception that he throws against the middle of the field open coverage on a smash concept against Washington where he once again hesitates. Washington does a pretty good job of sort of disguising the coverage, but he hits his depth and gets baited into the throw after hesitation. It allows the curl flat defender in that play to get underneath it. Then there's another interception he throws against the Buccaneers. Middle of the field, open coverage. He's throwing an in-cut, stares it down, hesitates for a bit, safety jumps it. And so he is still hesitating to this day. And even last week, the Rams got a big win against Arizona, right? And everybody's excited. Sean McVay had challenged Jared Goff after that game, basically said, our quarterback's going to play better. He's going to take care of the football. Can't have these turnovers. And it was somewhat surprising and stunning because McVay hasn't done a lot of that. McVay has been kind of reluctant, you could say, to criticize Goff, to criticize his quarterback. And so the fact that he did it on this occasion, people paid attention. And Goff seems to have responded, right? Played well in the win, didn't turn the football over. And I even did a video breaking down some of his throws, three throws from that game that you'll see in the Pat's pulpit piece. The issue even in the good performance that he had last week against Arizona, where everybody is saying, look, he figured it out. Yay. The hesitation is still there. The second of the three throws that I break down, it's a boot concept where he rolls out to the right, sort of staple McVeigh outside zone, play action off of it, roll the quarterback out, has a corner route from the play side and a backside crosser, and he eventually throws to the crosser. And I say eventually because the crosser's there. It's open. It's a single high coverage in the secondary. Safety has to drive down on the crosser. He's chasing it from behind, but he almost catches up. Why? Again, Goff hesitates. He hesitates, doesn't make the throw when he should, and it's still a big game, but the hesitation is still there. And so once again, when these two teams kick off in a Super Bowl 53 rematch, the three-word mantra, the message, the battle plan, the theme, whatever, however you want to describe it is clear. When the Rams have the football and Jared Goff drops the throw, exploit the hesitation. Up next, quality time. Seth Galina, America's favorite Canadian. He joins us to talk about the Rams' defense, Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, well, how they'll probably attack this version of the Patriots, and he might even chime in on Jared Goff, and maybe I'll bait him into talking about Trevor Lawrence for a second. That's ahead here in episode 157 of The Sco Show. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, 
It's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack It. We're talking about big time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hip Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. And welcome back to episode 157 of the Shko Show, probably a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network, brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. As I said, a little quality time. It's been a while since we've had a guest, so I figured I'd bring on America's favorite Canadian, or at least my favorite Canadian, and that's big because I'm huge in Canada, apparently. He writes for Pro Football Focus, covers the football from both the pro and the college levels, and he's written about the Rams in a piece we're going to talk about. He is Seth Galina. You can find him on the Twitter machine on the Bird app, at PFF underscore Seth. Seth, buddy, what's going on? Oh, man, that is such a high compliment uh, coming from you. As 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 the as the favorite uh, American uh, in Canada... For me to be the favorite Canadian in America, uh, I'm just touched. I'm honestly just touched. Well, I mean, I'm glad to hear that because, you know, when we were talking before the pod, you were calling me an idiot. And it's completely warranted. (laughs) Believe me, I understand that, Seth. But uh, I'm glad you do feel welcome here. And the reason I have you on, Seth, is tomorrow night, this is coming out Wednesday, tomorrow night, the Rams are going to play in the Patriots. uh, Super Bowl 53 matchup. And obviously the teams have changed somewhat. And part of the change with the Rams is on the defensive side of the ball as they've constructed what you've called a sort of a modern NFL type of defense. And you wrote about it in a piece I'm going to let you plug here for Pro Football Focus. But tell the dear, gentle listeners what the Rams are doing this year on defense. Well, I think for the most part, and you know what, it's very similar. So they brought in Brandon Staley this offseason. They let go of Wade Phillips. There are some similarities there between what Wade was doing and what Brandon Staley uh, has done this year. But what I think is the, the most startling thing is they've brought really a lot of collegiate concepts to to the NFL. Now, some of it does come from Brandon Staley's time with Vic Fangio in Chicago and, and Denver, but some of it is just it seems like it comes from, from Brandon Staley's time as a coordinator. I believe in uh, not even the FCS, I believe like Division II college or something like that. So he's brought some of that stuff. And, and the main thing for me is they will show you as light a box as possible by playing with two high safeties uh, as often as they can. And they're inviting you to run the football. They have overall been a very efficient defense, one of the top three defenses in the league. Their rank against the run, not very good. But would you rather give up uh, seven yards once in a while on the ground or 25 yards once in a while through the air uh, because you spun to one high because you're, you're leaving your corners out there in an island. So I think that's kind of the game they're playing. They're trying to limit explosive plays, which they've done the whole year, inviting you to run the football, which is a, uh, which they've, again, it's teams are running the football. Okay. Against them, but overall the offense isn't moving the ball against the Rams. And then, you know, on the front-wise, playing some, depending on the team, uh, playing some more tight fronts, which you see in college a lot. Um, you know, moving, I know we'll talk about it, but moving Jalen Ramsey around has been interesting. So there's just some, like, fun, 
fun stuff that they're doing that not all other teams are doing. You know, I, I sort of want to follow up on that, Seth, because, you know, you've written about it. I've written about it some. This sort of collegiate mindset, like you said, of playing light in the box. Well, whether it's three three five, three two six, like the Patriots have done and daring teams to run. Do you think that's something we're going to see more of just league-wide, sort of this idea of college ideas working their way into the NFL, and particularly lighter boxes? Well, it's funny you mentioned the stuff that we wrote. We, we basically every offseason write the same article right, right. because I think two, two years ago, two years ago, we both wrote about, wrote about the tight front. And I think last year we both wrote about the three high safety stuff. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Big Nickel. And, big um, Nickel, hashtag Big Nickel. So, but yeah, so I think, you know, the, the NFL, the NFL offense on first and 10 throws the ball over 55% of the time, you know, probably close to 60% of the time. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now. So why, like, why just sit in that defense that we've been sitting in in the NFL for so long in that, like, one high, gapped out, you know, over, under front? Look, the Seattle Seahawks defense uh, for for all these years. Now, Seattle is doing some other stuff this year, but regardless, um, that's – that's great. You're going to stop the run. Everyone has a gap. No problem. Everyone's cool. But as I said, like when you come into one high defense, whether it's cover one or cover three, which is really only two defenses you can play in one high, uh, you are exposing. It's one-on-one on the outside. You're going to, you're going to get vertical shots on the outside or down the seeds. And that's what teams are doing. If you're going to, th- like 60% pass. So why, sit there in that defense when you know the other team is most likely going to pass the football, even on first down. So I think, yeah, this is the start. I mean, Fangio had done the same thing um, with the Bears, with the Broncos. And those two guys, by far, by far, give the lightest boxes on uh, on first on first down. And it's something that I think, uh, I think we're both in agreement. It's going it's, to, it's happening. Yeah. It's not going to happen next year where every team is doing it. But this is the next, phase in, in the defensive evolution of the NFL. Now, the next phase in the defensive evolution of the NFL might involve incredible talent and players like a guy like Jalen Ramsey. I mean, I, and I know I in know. your PFF piece, you know, you highlighted him. How is, how is Staley using him? What has he done this year? And how big a problem is he for opposing offenses? So one of the interesting things that he's done is he's moved him around a lot. And it's not just okay, we're going to move him and he's going to go cover the number one receiver on the other team, which he, he does do. But there's also the idea of, you know, we can play, instead of playing 11 on 11, we can play 10 on 10. And that helps us a lot. So we can go and play a lock, a man-to-man coverage on the outside most receiver. And now... That, you know, to the to the wide side of the field, obviously in the NFL, the hashes are smaller, but still to the wide side of the field, we can lock that receiver, take him out. He's not a part of the play anymore. Now we can move Jalen Ramsey inside, and he's a player, obviously. He's really right. good. So we can move him inside and use him more than just a man-to-man player. And so one of the things I looked up, um, because I know we were going to talk about it, was when he does play inside, which, okay, yes, he is still mostly an outside cornerback. There's no doubt. But he has played, um, let me see this right here. He has played 144 snaps inside. And again, it's not just to play, it's not just, okay, their best, their best receivers lined up in the slot, so I'm going to go play there. 
Only 16% of the time do they play cover one or man coverage when he's in the slot. Cover two, uh, quarters, cover six, cover three. So they're still moving him inside, but still disguising enough that he can, that you, you can play zone. Oh, well, if this player on defense moves here, and we're talking about linebackers a lot. Well, it's just linebacker one outside to cover the running back out wide. Well, it's man coverage. Well, you can't necessarily do that against the, the the Rams defense because you don't know if they're going to play man or zone when Rams is lined up in the slot. And the little other thing is they also play him outside leverage when he's in the slot. So normally when you're seeing like too high, like cover four quarters, cover six, those type of teams, for the most part in the, in the last you know five years of NFL history, that player is lined up inside. He's protecting his inside, and then he's going to zone, expand out, and, and, and look to see, find routes, and, and look for the ball. What they're doing is playing him outside leverage. So he's taking away any outside route. The safety over top of him takes away any you know deep and inside route. And like I said, now they're locking the corner outside of him to the wide side, so they're not even dealing with him. He's by himself on an island. So it's and 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 you know Alabama does this and. You know, I saw Auburn give up a touchdown to Al to Alabama this weekend uh, or two weeks two weekends ago. So teams do this, but we haven't seen it in the NFL a lot. I think that's what's exciting. Yeah, and, and also what's probably exciting if you're a Rams fan is you still have Aaron Donald. And I know there's been a lot of discussion about Aaron Donald over say the past couple of months. Um, a lot of curious debate about Aaron Donald. But last I checked, Seth, he's still a pretty good player, isn't he? Uh, he pretty much has the same. PFF grade that he did last year, elite, elite, elite. It's 93.0 this year. Last year was 93.6. Uh, pass rushing grade is still elite, elite, elite. Like he is really good. I don't know what to say. And he's good against the run too. Uh, I mean, I don't know that was the discussion um, the past couple of months, like you were alluding to. He's good. I don't even know what to say. He's really good for a guy to be that good consistently from the inside. I know the past couple of years he's played a little more outside and it's not his preferred position. You can still get to the quarterback from there, but for a guy to do that time and time again inside where it's easier, as we talk about a lot to get double team, he's good. He's still good. <laughs> There's nothing else to say about him. He's amazing. So let me ask you this, look at this Rams defense, the way you have and see it. I bet some of the Patriots offense this year, how do you think that matchup plays up Thursday night when you get this Rams defense, this modern defense, trying to stay, you know, still stop the run, but doing it from two high looks. Now you get a team with Cam Newton that is sort of struggling to throw the ball. Well, th th that's why I think this game is so interesting because it's going to play into, I think it should play into what Staley has been good at this year. So when, you, when they played against the Eagles, they ran a lot of this, what we call the tight front, right? So yeah. three guys, three three interior defensive linemen between the two tackles, kind of like sandwich in there, trying to take up uh, three. You're trying to use three defensive linemen, four or five, four, so three defensive linemen for five offensive linemen when you do that. And we see it in college a lot because we see so many RPOs. And what it does is it allows your, 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 you know, what we call your overhang players, your outside linebackers to be a little bit more free. They're not attached to the run as much. They're not attached to the line of scrimmage as much. They can sit there and play those RPOs. So they did that a lot against uh, Philadelphia early in the season. Now, against, man, I don't, against the Seahawks, who pass the ball a lot on first down um, and are 
one of our least, uh, what I imagine is our, one of our least favorite people in the world, Stephen Rees, wrote an article about, <laughs> wrote an article, wrote a really good article for uh, for for the Win USA Today uh, about the Rams' game plan against a heavy passing team like the Seattle Seahawks, where they weren't running those tight fronts. They were in the gap. They were showing like pass down, third down looks on first down because they knew that's what Seattle was going to do. So you can see that Brandon Staley obviously has his things that he likes, but he's willing to mix it up. He's willing to play against the offense. And now, like you said, you're playing against an offense that is different than a lot of offenses in the league. You're seeing power. You're seeing man blocking. You're not seeing as much zone as you would see um, from other teams. So I think it, it's really interesting. I, I can tell you if he's going to stay in too high, if he's going to say, screw it, I'm spinning down to one high, we're going to stop the run because – Cam hasn't been that great as a passer recently, um, but I think that that that's what I'm really interested in watching is is does he again fit his defense to the offense he's playing? Now I would certainly be an idiot if I didn't have Canada's best flag football quarterback on and not ask him about quarterbacks. And so I have to ask you about two quarterbacks in particular. One is the Jared Goff question. Are we going to see a Jared Goff pumpkin game? on Thursday night where he like turns from Cinderella's carriage back into a pumpkin, or is he going to actually show out against his Patriots defense? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm know. asking you. You never know what you're going to get from, from, from Jared Goff and this offense. Obviously, uh, this is this the first time they've played since the Super Bowl. I would this imagine is. this is obviously we know what happened in the Super Bowl. We know that the, Patriots, I mean, there were a couple of games before that, but the Patriots really showed somewhat of a blueprint to stopping the Rams offense in that game. McVay has evolved to create, um, you know, when he gets those looks that the Patriots did play against him in that Super Bowl, he's evolved. Um, they'll run more outside. They'll run more quick, quick screen, stuff like that. The question is, all that's fine and dandy, but when you have to drop back and throw the football, you have a, do you have a guy who can do that consistently? Right. We kind of know at this point that even though he's the number one overall pick, we know he has really, honestly, has really tremendous arm talent. I don't, I just, I don't think he's that guy. Yeah. Now, McVay is that good, and Goff isn't uh, the worst quarterback to ever live. He is one of the top twenty best quarterbacks living right now, right. right? Like, you know, he's still really, really good. In, it just relative to the other players in the NFL, maybe he's middling. So you could get a good game out of him. There's receivers there. You know, obviously this isn't the same Patriots defense that it's been, uh, though I think they've been better over the past few weeks. Um, you know, it's not the, it's not the 2019 defense, that, that's for sure. Um, but they have been better. So I think you can, you can get a good game out of him. Um, but, you know, it's, it's definitely, a, definitely a coin flip. So I didn't show you this question on the run sheet because I wanted to get, as we get out of here, your instant reaction on this. Trevor Lawrence, go. Oh, no, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I, I was trying to bait you into that one because those takes are coming, my friend. Those takes are coming. You, you, yeah. The only thing, what I'm going to say about college quarterbacks is I'm not ready for the Trevor Lawrence question because I really think, I need to, like, I watched 2018, I watched 2019. I have watched, you know, throughout the year, 2020, 
but I need to, when the season ends, go back and really give it a, give it a hard look. But w- the one thing that I'll say is I'm in love, and there's nothing to do with Trevor Lawrence, but I'm in love with Justin Fields. I think there's a case to be made that he is not Q, QB1 and Lawrence is QB2, but QB1B. Yeah. So that's where I am right now. I think I'm, I'm a big fan of, of what he can do. Let me ask you this, because I was a bit more reserved on Fields last year. I thought what I saw from Fields, and look, Brent Venables, that 317, it confuses a lot of QBs. I thought Fields did a good job of getting to the right answers, but it wasn't quick enough. I feel like this year he's been quick enough with his mind, which has been a huge leap for him. So this is something that I was meaning to talk to people in the know uh, who know Ohio State's offense this offseason. Because what I've been hearing, and I don't know if you've heard the same stuff, but what I've been hearing is that they put a lot of reads and decision-making on their receivers. So yeah. if that's the case, are we judging fields with some late decision-making, which I agree, I saw the exact same thing last year. Are we putting that on him when maybe we should put that on the offense? That's the question I want to ask. Like, I don't know the answer because when you just open the, you know, when you put the tape on, we see the same thing. There's a little late. There's an extra hitch in there sometimes, uh, which is, which certainly, like you said, he's been better at this year. But is that something that's just natural to that offense, to what Ryan Day wants to do, um, rather than it being a Justin Fields thing? So something I, I um, would like to see. Ryan Day follows me on Twitter, and I slid in, and I slid into his DMs asking him to be on my podcast. That was like two months ago, and he hasn't gotten back to me. So because well, he knows what I... you're going to ask him, he knows what you're going to ask him. No, but I, I think Seth, there is something to that, and I think just generally speaking, there are times when I think when we study quarterbacks, we think, oh, the guy's slow with his decisions. But if it's the receivers being slow with their read of a coverage, maybe we're blaming the wrong guy. So I think that's a that's a really interesting point. Seth, tremendous stuff. Plug what you do. Plug Canada. Plug whatever you want before we go. <laughs> uh, yeah, let me plug Canada. We are to the north of the United States. Okay. I think it's the 52nd parallel or something like that or longitude in the line or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> uh, no, uh, yeah, pff.com. Uh, you can find all my work there. You can find all of our work there. And on Twitter, PFF underscore Seth. And the podcast is the PFF College Football Podcast with Seth Galina. And Ryan Day, soon to be dropping at some point into your <laughs> podcast feeds. Friends, that will do it for episode 157. I'll be back sometime after this game. Until then, friends, follow Seth on Twitter at PFF underscore Seth. Stay safe. Wash those hands. Wear a mask. And when you wash those hands, sin along. And bless those Patriots reigns down in Foxborough. <laughs>